On today's episode of the Break It Down for Bracken's podcast, I got to meet with Jess Ryan. Jess is the executive director of the United Way in the Northern Panhandle. We met up in Morgantown at their office and discussed exactly what does the United Way do? How can it work with individuals? How can it work with programs in your community? And how it can work with businesses? Let's l- listen to what Jess had to say. Have you heard of Bracken's painting? I started Bracken's painting back in 2011. We do both residential and commercial painting. We have contractors licenses in West Virginia and Virginia, and we carry all the necessary insurances, like workers' comp, general liability. Uh, We operate a small staff that focuses on meeting the homeowner's needs and project manager's timeline expectations. Uh, we We try to have exceptional attention to detail. If you're interested in doing any sort of commercial or residential painting, please contact Bracken's Painting. More information can be found at www.brackenspainting.com. Today's intro song is called Mean in a Good Way. It's written and performed by Peter Clark off of his album, Peter Clark After Dark. Peter... (laughs) Peter describes this song as being the best song to learn hula hooping to. Peter is an avid hooper and recently started a hula hoop repair business. If you ever need hula hoop repair, consider contacting Peter. You can reach him on SoundCloud. Just search Peter Clark After Dark. Okay, Jess, thank you for being on the Break It Down for Bracken's podcast. I really appreciate you coming on. Thank you for having me, Kevin. I'm excited. Great. So, um... Tell me, who is Jess Ryan? Jess Ryan. I was born Jess Nixon, Jessica Nixon, and I was born and raised in Wheeling, West Virginia. I didn't love it as much then as I do now, if I'm being completely honest, but I went to a Catholic grade school and loved it. Then I went to a public high school. I went to Wheeling Park High School, very proud graduate from there. Then I went on to West Liberty State College, which is now West Liberty University, in West Liberty, West Virginia, also in the Northern Panhandle. And I studied communications and broadcasting specifically. Uh, I wanted to be a sports writer, sports reporter, sideline reporter for the NFL. And then I had my first internship in Altoona, PA, and decided against being in sports broadcasting. Started doing some behind the scenes stuff, which led me back home to Wheeling. And I had a 10 year career at a TV station called WTRF TV. And then after that, I started... Were you on TV? I was sometimes, but no, I was not an on-air talent or anchor. I was the face of the station outside of the station. Community relations, PR, promotions, things like that. Loved it. Great career. Started getting really involved in my community. And one of those organizations was the United Way. When the associate director position became available, I knew it was because the person who was the executive director at the time was retiring, so I knew that was a quick step up, and I applied, and I was probably one of the most nervous I've ever been because I wanted it so badly, and I took the position. I was there for a little over a year under my predecessor. So you applied for the associate director? Yes. And that you knew, because you knew the next position was? The executive director was ready to retire, and he wanted to stick around for a year to get that succession plan in place. And it was amazing to be able to experience that, to be able to have that kind of concessions plan set up for me. And then I moved into the executive director role, where I've been for about two years. Well, so 
What is the executive director responsible for? Essentially, the United Way raises funding. The executive director is in charge of anything that a president or a CEO would be of their organization, just for nonprofit. So I have to handle a staff. We have five staff, three full-time, two part-time. And I am responsible for getting the mission of the United Way out. I'm responsible for becoming a member of the communities that we serve so I can identify issues in that area and how to solve them while finding new companies to support the United Way and new ways for people to get involved in their community through giving. All right, good. So I guess let's back up a little bit. The United Way is a global, is it a nonprofit? Yes. Is that how you define it? Okay. Mm -hmm. It's global, so it's in a bunch of different countries. Explain to me how it breaks down from global all the way down to almost regional or neighborhood? Sure. So United Way Worldwide is our corporate, if you will. And there are 1,800 United Ways worldwide, but 1,200 of them are nationwide. And then in West Virginia, there are 16. So the way that each United Way is run, essentially, is that United Way Worldwide says, we don't know your individual communities. You do. We don't know your problems. We don't know your donors. We don't know how involved people want to be in your communities, which is very unique to different parts of the area, and they said that's your job. So the local United Ways, that's what they do. They find the issues in the community, find generous community-minded donors, and use that donor dollar, those donor dollars to fund programs throughout the community that help solve those big issues. Okay. Can you give me some examples of issues or solutions? Sure. But let's, let's, and let's, let's speak, do you want to speak on a state or regional how do you want to I find that they're one and the same for okay. the for the northern panhandle and across the state of West Virginia where there are a lot of issues facing communities um, small there are also broad issues that I feel are affecting everybody one of those is unemployment so a lot of United Way programs that are funded not just in the United Way of the upper Ohio Valley which we is what we we serve but also throughout the state there are uh, different programs that are helping people case management type style to find out why they're down on their luck, what happened in their life, what kind of education do they have, uh, do they, are they working, they just don't have enough money to service their families, whether they need utility assistance or rental assistance. Okay, I'm, losing, I'm losing track. I'm losing track. Let me, let me refocus. Back it up. Let me, yeah, let me re refocus here. So um, give me an example of what's happening in Wheeling or in the Northern Panhandle that you guys have been really able to grab onto and see success with. So what was the problem, and then how did you find the solution, and then how did you fund the solution and things like that? Okay, so since I've become executive director, we have traditionally funded agencies for quite some time. What we did since I came on board is really narrow down the focus to programs within agencies. But agency being an agency like a nonprofit agency, a 501c3, like a YMCA, a YWCA, Salvation Army. Okay, so for example, I used to have a nonprofit called Bros and Bras. Yes. Right, in the Eastern Panhandle. Okay. How would you work with us? We it doesn't exist anymore, but I'm saying, like, hypothetically, how would I be able to work with the United Way? Well, there's an application process with all United Ways. They're different throughout the state, but essentially you would apply for funding and you would have to talk in detail about your program, what criteria you have for people to receive your services, and then if it were a fit through that specific United Way, for us it goes through a volunteer panel. So it's people that are volunteers, that are donors as well, 
and they're the ones who review that process. It's called allocations. They review that process and they decide if they're a good fit for the United Way and if that's where we're going to apply funding. What are some examples of nonprofits you've worked with in the Northern Panhandle? So I just mentioned some more national ones, but some of the local ones that we funded, there's one called Gabriel Project. It's in two of our counties, actually, and they get clothes and car seats and cribs and formula and diapers for parents who are expecting children who are not able to afford those items on their own. And they do, a, they do a lot of accountability and case management where, again, they find out not only what they need and when they're expecting and how many kids are in the home, but also what got them into the situation that they need that type of help. And then they can help refer those people to other organizations that can help support them entirely. And that's called Gabriel's what? Gabriel Project. The Gabriel Project. Yes. So then the Gabriel Project comes up with their idea. They try to do their service. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, we could do better if we had better funding. So then they say, hey, let's apply with the United Way. Maybe they can help us with funding. Correct. And then they have to tell us specifically where that money is going. So we're not just going to write them a check and they spend it at will. We will know how much of their admin expenses are being covered by that money, how many cribs will be bought for how many families, what the demographic is of those families, and if there were some follow-up with them, case management style, like I mentioned, so they can figure out that these families become part of that organization. It's not a one-stop shop. You come in, you grab your bag, and you leave. They become part of the community, part of that family. Great. What's another nonprofit you've worked with? Uh, another one we have is Information Helpline. I'm trying to think of the more unique, small agencies in our area. And that was actually something that was uh, formed a little bit through the United Way. And Information Helpline is the number that you would call if you needed social services and you didn't know who to call. Now, since we've been funding them, another thing that we've actually started doing is two-on-one, and that is a statewide program. There's a two-on-one West Virginia, but it's also a nationwide program. So 211 is a number that anybody can call from their phone, just like you would call another emergency number, similar. And um, you can get connected to social services in your area. So if you're falling on hard times, you don't know who to call, you call 211, type in your zip code, and you're able to speak to a real person to tell them your needs, for them to sympathize with you, answer your questions, and get you connected with services you need. Well, that's amazing. I, I've never heard of that before. We are really starting to push it out now. It was just set up in a way that we didn't feel was a very big strength several years ago. And since then, it's been developed into a wonderful program. So you will be hearing more about it statewide. That's awesome. So earlier you said you, were, you mentioned um, some larger agencies. Mm-hmm. What, what, give me an example of that. I mentioned the YMCA and the YWCA. In our area, when I grew up, I thought the YMCA was kind of a gym. That's what that's how it was utilized in our company or in our community. Sure. People would, you know, basketball players would go after school and go and shoot around. There was a pool in there, some exercise equipment. But there's really a mission there. So when we fund a place like the YMCA, we're funding scholarships for kids who can't afford or pay families who can't afford to go to day camp or they can't afford to have any type of membership to that type of program. We fund the families that can't afford it so they can still have those amenities and those things in their life. Plus the day camp, at least our local Y in Wheeling, is really exceptional and very helpful for working families. You mentioned earlier some other issues, and um, daycare is one of them. That's a very large one in the northern panhandle and I believe throughout the state. So a program like that is kind of double dipping for us. We're helping these kids get out, you know, have fun, be with their friends, make new friends, have some leadership roles. And then also we're helping the families that 
they have working parents that are trying to get by and aren't able to afford a camp like that. Right. I was mentioning that um, one of my key employees is having a challenge as a single parent. He's having a challenge finding daycare. And then all of a sudden a rogue snowstorm comes through and cancels classes or cancels school. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden these three kids have no daycare planned and he's scrambling to find someone to watch the kids because his normal daycare is set for a different time or model. Mm -hmm. And and it's a real challenge. And, um, but he did say he probably not involved with the YMCA, but through some sort of social services, he got over 30 numbers of safe places to acquire temporary childcare during scenarios like that. So it sounds like something, another, another good problem similar to what you're talking, or program similar to what you're talking about. Um, okay, cool. So the YMCA with funding, partial funding or whatever from the United Way, they're the ones that choose which families qualify for the scholarships and stuff like that. Correct. So, and, and they have to keep track of all of the details surrounding that family for their records. And then they're able to tell us, we helped this family. They had this number of kids. The parents are both working. They have this background of education. These are some other areas that they struggle in financially that they could use help from other organizations. So it's really all encompassing. It's not, hey, here's a pass. Now you can work and your kids can play. It's, again, more of that case management. You become part of that family. Okay. I feel like I recognize the United Way logo, and I feel like I see it on things from time to time. What are some collaborations that you have going on where I would see the logo? I feel like 5Ks or marathons or walks. Am I, am I on the right track? Each United Way can hold their own functions, but on a national scale, you would recognize it a lot through the NFL. There's a partnership with the NFL and the United Way where you might see the commercials. You still might not know exactly what the United Way does by the end of those commercials, but that recognition is huge. And we have to pay dues to United Way worldwide, as most have to, to their corporate. Currently, we only pay 1%, and I would venture to say that that 1% comes back to us just in the recognition because we have that national exposure through places like uh, the NFL, but also you're mentioning 5Ks. Each United Way has their own specific fundraisers. And then what I found, which I thought was actually pretty beautiful, is that there are a lot of companies out there that want to hold fundraisers for team building and they want to raise money for a great place. And a lot of them do turn to United Ways because we are, they, they might not know exactly what they want to fund, but they want to give back. And the United Way is the perfect place to do that because we're encompassing of all the toughest issues. Okay, Jess. You said fundraising for, like, team building? Yes. So you're using some terminology that I can sit here and nod my head like I know what you're talking about. And to some extent, I feel like I'm picking up about 25% of what you're talking about. But I just need examples. So how would a company have a fundraiser for team building? Yeah. So an example would be something like a 5K or a clay shoot. If you remember when I was in Morgantown for Leadership West Virginia, I had to leave because we had a company doing a clay shoot for us. Any of those type of events, when you put them on, it's all hands on deck. So the team really comes together. They help find maybe prizes to raffle off. They talk about the menu, what lunch is going to be served, you know, anything. They could do a gala or a 5K like you mentioned, or they could just do a kickoff party where they're raffling off some items and taking donations that way or doing a 50-50 or, you know, some people will go to county fairs and they'll buy a hog and they'll raffle that off to their employees and then give the money to a nonprofit. But the team building side of it is really 
them getting involved in putting on that fundraiser. It's event planning. It takes a full team to do that. Also, there are things they can participate in. For example, if they're doing a 5K, they'll they'll put in Let's use the clay shoot as an example. Kind of just walk me through it. Okay. Well, clay shoots are not um, something that United Ways do. It's what companies do on our behalf. So Bracken's Painting. Bracken's Painting could do a clay shoot. Mm -hmm. And that would mean that you would set up essentially everything and bring us in for marketing. We could be the fiscal agent of the program. If you don't have a 501c3, you might not feel comfortable handling all of that money and paying out the bills. You would rather have the fiscal agent, which at that point would be the United Way, come in and handle the money and pay the bills so you don't have to mess with it. Sometimes your auditors probably wouldn't like you handling that much cash. So you go through a nonprofit to be the fiscal agent of that. You send out the invitations, right? Because you're Bracken's painting and you work with X, X, and X to get the materials that you need. So you have suppliers, you have people you work so, through. So a clay shoot is shotguns and a clay clay throwing machine. Yes. And Bracken's painting is like, okay, I want to have a clay shoot and I want it to be a charity event where we raise money for the United Way. Right. But the United Way, the United Way has the infrastructure to handle the financial, the registrations, correct, the distribution of the of the money, I will invite some of my other business buddies that could spend how much per ticket, do you think? Clay shoots are fairly expensive. They can be upwards of $500 or more. We've seen them up to $1,200 per team. There's usually teams of four. Right. So then let's say I have $400 per ticket Mm -hmm. and everybody who's coming, everybody who's invited is typically somebody who can afford a $400 ticket. Right. And they know they're going to come out and shoot, have a lunch, and that the money is going to the United Way. Correct. And then I trust the United Way because I know you're going to distribute the funds raised the way you see fit. Right. And I don't have to worry about that part of it. Correct. I just, I just get the, the pride of putting on a non putting on a fundraiser for charity. Mm-hmm. And... I'm using your expertise to determine where it goes and where it's needed the most in my community or in my region. Correct. And you're giving the people that you spend money with and that spend money with you the opportunity to network. Those type of events, it's like a golf scramble. There's so much business that happens on a golf course. Clay shoots are similar. I mentioned galas earlier, 5Ks, walks, runs, all those charity Things are a way for people to get together and network. And you and I have talked many times about the importance of those connections. So to be able to do something like that makes you look great in your community, makes your employees feel good because they're helping to plan this event to give back and gives all of your, your, you know, side parts, you know, this person. So you order, we'll say paintbrushes, right? Sure. So you have a paintbrush provider. They're able to come and support your event support the cause that means a lot to you guys and that can help build your relationship with them and that happens consistently especially in gas and oil fields oh Um, yeah we have the two clay shoots that we work with are both gas and oil companies williams energy does one for us and southwestern energy does one for us and they are tremendous partners their whole team gets together to put this event on and you've never seen such big smiling faces when they're cutting a six-figure check to go back into their communities well that's amazing bracken's painting is not swimming in that kind of pool right now (laughs) uh but all right, so so rattle off a few of those, those companies again. So we work with a lot with the gas and oil companies in okay. the area. Our, one of our biggest donors is Williams, and I know that there are a lot of gas and oil companies that heavily support United Ways for what we just talked about. They love their community. They want to give back to their community. 
They just don't have one specific thing. This is what I want to put our money towards. They just want to have that feel good, give back to the community, and let another group do that fundraising or do that decision making for them. So that's why they go through United Ways, because we do our due diligence on the backside of it. We do our due diligence in making sure we have fiscally responsible companies, which is very important. You don't want to put money into something that's not going to be successful. And we make sure that those agencies and programs are sustainable. Uh, we also do quarterly reports with them. So one of the... Hold on. Go ahead. <laughs> How do you determine that they're sustainable? We have financial reports, and again, this is our local United Way. I don't know if I mentioned, we're Brook, Ohio, Marshall, Wetzel, and Tyler counties in the Northern Panhandle, and then we cover Belmont County in Ohio, just to throw that in there. So we're a fairly large United Way. Um, What's your question again? How do you determine if they're fiscal or oh, fiscally sustainable? So our United Way requires a financial report every month before funding will be released for that month. That's a way that we're able to make sure that their finances are in order and that our money is being spent appropriately. We also do quarterly reports where they have to let us know not only, you know, how many people they funded and what areas and all of that, but if they have outcomes from that. Meaning, you know, we met the Smith family, they needed diapers, further review, the mother lost her job or decided she couldn't work because of lack of daycare, like we mentioned. So we were able to hook them up with this organization, and now both parents are working, the kids are well taken care of, and they no longer need our services. Those stories are what really makes you fall in love with your community and really has an impact on directors and you know fellow staff on continuing that mission because we see that it's working. We're able to see those issues being resolved through the funding that we were able to receive. And then that's pretty consistent across all... United Way regions for the most part? Yeah, the program, everything varies a little bit. We have some parameters we have to stick to, but the good thing about us meeting statewide is that we are able to say, hey, this is working here. This might work in your community as well. We're able to steal those ideas from each other to help what happens in the bottom of the state help the top of the state. Right. That's good. So what would be an example of a, a medium size, and I'm going to follow that up with, a small size company, small businesses, you know, you know, gas company or coal or whatever, swinging six figure fundraisers. That's, that's pretty darn amazing. It is. What about the $3,000 fundraiser where, or even the $2,000, it's all you, all you made for whatever reason. Cause in the past we had fundraisers and it'd be a 5k and we we only get 120 people pre-registered. We know, we're hoping for another 100 to come out race day to mm -hmm. register on day of to get 200. It's a really good raise and fundraiser for us. Then it rains. Right. And then nobody else comes out. And then half people who did register didn't show up either. Mm -hmm. How do you, I guess my point is, how do you handle the small and well, let's go with medium first, the medium sized business and fundraiser. And then how do you determine how to work with a smaller one? Sure. So first I want to say that Everybody says every dollar counts, and it sounds like they're just spitting game at you, just mm -hmm. saying what they're supposed to say. But mathematically, those smaller United Ways, total combined, are raising more for, for us than that one gas and oil company. So the, the important part about the smaller fundraisers, the smaller employee campaigns, and the other ways to give are that they combine with people like you and companies like yours that can give a couple of hundred dollars a year or put on an event that raises a few hundred or a thousand dollars a year. That money total allocates for maybe 75% of our campaign 
And then we have those big companies that are raising those six-figure checks, but it's a it's a one-off. So those small companies are just as important to us, and I we truly we truly treat them that way. It's it, they're the normally the local people that have started from the ground up that have those inspiring stories and now are able to give back money where it almost feels more out of pocket for them than coming down from corporate. So the middle ground, we have a lot of banks. Banks are very supportive of United Ways. There are many reasons for that. I don't know how it is in your hometown, but in ours, if you're going to go to a business after hours or a dinner or we have steak fries, uh, spaghetti dinners, that type of stuff, you're almost always going to see the big banks representative in one way or another. They are just very community minded. That's their bread and butter. They have to be out in front of people for them to be able to tr be trusted with their business. Sure. So banks are really big for us. I mentioned employee campaigns. I think one of the reasons banks are so supportive is because of our employee campaigns. All United Ways have them. They are not tracking well throughout the rest of the country. In the northern panhandle, we see it tracking up, which I think is impressive. Employee campaign. Yes. I, I don't know what you're talking about. That's what I'm, I'm getting to it. Okay. Are you ready? Because I'm going to talk you into <laughs> going to your Jess. hometown. No, I'm just like... How? What? <laughs> like, I, I'm like thinking in my head, did she already describe this? No. Am I going to ask the question again? What? Are, so. Well, this is 101. If you know about United Ways, this is one of the top things you should know that's available. Employee campaigns are run through an individual company's HR department, but it gives employees, all of them, the opportunity to designate X number of dollars per paycheck to the United Way. Now, you can do... A dollar a paycheck is what we recommend because there are a lot of minimum wage type positions and it's hard. You spend that money before it even gets to your bank account sometimes. Sure. So if you can designate one dollar a paycheck and you get paid every other week, at the end of the the end of the year, you're giving a certain amount of money to the United Way where it would be $26, and you might not have been able to just hand me $25 or write a check for $26 at that time. If you do it throughout the year, you're giving all year long. You feel good about giving. Giving makes people feel more connected to their communities. And at the end of that, as I mentioned with small businesses and big businesses, you're combining with all of your other employees. You're combining with other banks your size or restaurants your size to make a really sizable donation that we can write to programs in the area to fix those problems. So it doesn't cost the company any money. That's another perk to run an employee campaign. You're giving your donor your employees the option to donate and when you donate through united way some people lean on designations some don't but the way that united ways are set up is as a giving plan i mentioned earlier that if you don't know where to give you can give to the united way we have a process set up that it'll go to the best places in the community but if you do have a place that's near and dear to your heart you can designate your money to that organization and united ways will make sure they get that money i think when i was in the military I was in basic training, I think, and it was like mandatory. They're like, okay, guys, listen up. Here's a list of all these. I think they called it AER. I don't even remember what it stood for. I don't know what it stands for. But either. we weren't leaving the position we were in until we signed over like $10 a paycheck. <laughs> and it was like the entire platoon had to do it. Mm -hmm. We were forced to. So I, I'm familiar with the plan. And I never understood I could even ever stop it because I didn't for four and a half years. I was donating to something. Right. Um, that's a really interesting concept. Is there literature or is there a way to coach small business owners to start a culture of giving 
you know, because the economy is getting better, especially mm -hmm. for my trades that I'm in. And everybody's making a little bit extra money, but you want to hoard on to it so badly. Right. Um, but the um, how do you instill a culture of of automatic giving out of your paycheck? I know a lot of big companies in our area. I say big. They mm -hmm. would be considered probably a mid-sized company. They always have had philanthropic giving. Philanthropic giving is almost trendy now. Um, it's a way that a company will choose. They want to put all of their resources into this issue this year, and that's how they're going to do it. While we super support that, again, you not always don't compete with anybody. We always are community first. If you're going to give us $100,000, awesome. But don't take it away from a children's hospital to give to us. You know what okay, I mean? Yeah. We, we want you to continue to support the way you do. So when companies want to go above and beyond, you know, I mentioned team building. They might do a, a walk for X cure, okay? So they're doing that. They're putting a team together. The employees get to, you know, have fun outside of their company. That That's great for them. That's a great team building thing. We don't want you to take that money and give it to us. However, if you want to do philanthropic giving through your employees and let them choose where to give, they can donate through the United Way, either generically, so it goes into our general campaign and funds the programs that we do, or they can fund that cure walk. You know, they could put their money towards that. That's their option to do. So I think most people want to be involved in their community in one way or another. If you read what people, how, why people feel disconnected to their community, a lot of that can be fixed with good networking opportunities if they're up for taking them, which obviously mm -hmm. we did our introvert, extrovert uh, thing in leadership. Right. And, and we know that some people want to and some don't. But if they ha want that opportunity, it's available for them. When people give, that is what, the number one way that they can feel connected to their community. There's a problem and they feel like they're helping. Even like you said earlier, sometimes you just want to stroke a check. Sometimes you don't have the time. You, don't, you can't commit your employees. You can't get volunteers to do it. You can't right. pull them away from work to help. All things are needed. They, we need both. And if you can give time and if you can choose where you want to put your money, awesome. Do that all the time. Don't stop doing what you're doing. But for a business owner, it gives your employees to do exactly what you're doing too. Just a couple more questions. Um, how would an individual get involved with the United Way, either as a volunteer uh, I think we understand how you can donate. I mean, you probably just go online and donate if you wanted to donate. But how does one make a difference boots on the ground with United Way? But I guess if you're just helping process which nonprofits or programs need the funding, is there even volunteer opportunities inside the United Way? There are. Okay. And some companies will, will reach out to United Ways because they know we, our old motto is give, advocate, and volunteer. So people will reach out to us and say, my company has X number of hours to spend in the community. We're going to give them paid days off to spend this much time. Tell us what you have. The first thing we'll reach out to, people we'll reach out to are our um, agencies, and we'll see if they have any of those type of uh, volunteer opportunities available, and it could be anything. We as a United Way and many others throughout the state have a day called Day of Caring or Day of Giving, and it's one day a year. It's the biggest volunteer day yeah, of I've the entire that. community. And a lot of our classmates did from Leadership West Virginia. They came rocking their Day of Caring shirts to one of our sessions, and I was beaming with pride. I'll be darned. Yeah. So that's a way that people can give back their time. Now that's one day a year, but there are volunteer opportunities Is that all year the, That's long. the United Way? That's the United Way. I didn't even realize. How? The other community leaders in Jefferson County, 
would encourage me to come out or to bring some staff out for Day of Caring. Mm -hmm. I just didn't know it was the United Way. We have a branded Day of Caring and Day of Action and Day of Giving. It depends on which one. But, and I'm not saying for sure that the one that you have, that's what they did. We've had, we have a couple companies who have their own day of action where they send employees out on their own day. But if it's the same time every year and it's branded and, that way, it would be the United Ways. And this this is why this podcast exists. Because people don't even, I, maybe I'm the only one who doesn't know, okay? I just don't know what I'm involved in. But I've been to day of caring for three or four years in a row. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's me. Sometimes it's Jenny. Jenny goes and helps with the park from mm -hmm. time to time or the community garden or however, we, whatever we were doing or what programs we got signed, assigned to. Right. But um, I think it's so important to get the message out to what these brands or concepts actually are, what they do. Because you can just go through your whole life saying, oh, yeah, I know the United Way. Yeah, they, they're like a charity. Okay, but if you don't actually know what they do, you can't really associate yourself with it too much. It's That's what I'm trying to do with this podcast. I'm trying to learn, and I didn't even know I was already involved in it, or I was already helping on some level, but mm -hmm. it's good to know what you offer, and, and that's, that's, that's really important. And thank you for teaching me. Sure. Um, I can't tell if you're awake and excited about it, or if you're taking a nap and need to drink more of your coffee, or... I don't do well expressing emotions. That's been explained <laughs> to me by Jenny quite often. Um, no, I'm, I'm being totally serious. And even Jenny says in the notes that she gives me for this podcast is, A, don't sound so much like Zach Galifianakis and don't be so awkward when asking questions. And then she also said, is it possible to have like an upbeat one? And I was like, I just talk the way I talk. <laughs> and I'm being totally serious. Like I actually, I just want to know. And, you know, I have a long we're in Morgantown right now and I have a long ride home and I'll reflect on all the things that you taught me today. And that's, it's stuff that sticks with me. It just like one of the reasons why we started this was my lack of understanding on what FDIC was because I was told the wrong thing when I was four mm -hmm. and it just stayed in a fold in my brain until one day I said what I thought it was and I'm the jackass in the room. You I know, think we all have examples right. of that for sure. Right. But I, and, and the, again, this podcast is whether I'm learning about the United Way or I'm learning about the opioid crisis or I'm learning the steps of buying a house or I'm just getting to meet somebody from the community or I'm learning why somebody's running for office. This is my postgraduate work on life. Oh, I love that. Yeah. A friend of mine said it's almost like advanced home ec. It's like life economics. It's like you're learning the things, like the tagline says, learning things I thought I already knew. I love that. You and know? I think that most people, that's why they listen to podcasts or listen to TED Talks or read new books. You know, they're, everybody's trying to find that, what don't I know? Right. Without, and you can do it privately mm -hmm. without feeling like a, the only clown in the room. Am I the only one that doesn't know what that means? Am I the only one that doesn't know how to calculate APR? Because seriously, I'm still moderately confused about APR. I will tell you, I felt comfortable asking those questions for the first time through the program that we met through in Leadership West Virginia. I didn't want to leave there having questions that were unanswered, and I felt that was the time and the place. That was my postgraduate type of education that I received, and I felt better 
because every time I would ask a question, without fail, there would be so many head nods. I was the, I think my quote of the year was, I might be the only one who doesn't understand this, but, and then asking the question. So I love that that's what you're doing with this. Definitely. And I think at some point we will put together a um, leadership West Virginia, our class specifically, group podcast. I can do up to four people mm. and we can just have almost our own little panel to discuss what the experience was like, specifically with trying to figure out who um, new candidates should be to go mm-hmm. through a, a, a program that we respect so much and we respect the relationships that were built out of it. Um, I think I sidetracked us a little bit because I have one or two more questions. Oh, yeah, we, we were talking about how does an individual get involved. Yeah, and I mentioned volunteer work. Any company that wants to volunteer that has those hours to spend, as I mentioned, they can reach out to their local United Way. Everybody has their unique ways of um, getting projects out. But I don't want anyone to forget that you can be a volunteer without doing manual labor. Sometimes people think they don't have time to volunteer, but you do because you can join a board or a committee. And I started on United Way's um, marketing committee. I was in marketing. My boss said, you should do this. It was my first, it was a very good entry level type of thing. I probably sat there for about the first six months of meetings and didn't say anything and would just listen and take it all in. And those were some of the most valuable lessons I learned about community, community involvement, networking. When I joined, everybody in the room knew each other so well. Well, their only common factor was that group. And as we talk about networking and how important that is, being able to give one hour a month towards sitting on a committee gives you so much knowledge just over the course of a year, even if you don't have the action items that year. I was on that committee for seven years, and now I'm the executive director of the United Way. And, That's amazing. Well, there's also the allocations panels. You can, you can volunteer that way. That's how I learned about the United Way. The allocations panels are donors and volunteers that get together one day a year and review some of the agencies and some of the programs that are being funded. And at the end of the day, they're the ones who make the determination on how much funding is adequately distributed to each agency. I did that before working for the United Way. That's how I got to learn about so many companies in the area and so many agencies in the area. And then, so keep that in mind, everybody. If you're looking to get involved in, on a 101 level, don't maybe don't jump into a board seat. That can be a little heavy, but jump into a committee, something that... What's another example of a committee besides marketing? Finance, special events planning. That's a fun one. A lot of people love that kind of stuff. Um, we have a campaign cabinet. Their main objective is to introduce us to other people in the community so that I can sit down and have coffee with Joe Schmo, who owns, you know, excavating company, and I can talk to them about the United Way and how we can form some type of relationship. So there's, I mean, finance is one of our bigger ones that's tougher to get in. But if you know finance and you know financial reports or you know investments, volunteer some time and get on a board because I know, I think I can speak for most nonprofits. They're always looking for people who are in the know in finance. And then it, it depends on the organization. Some people have certain reaches they're trying to get, and they need people's advice to get them there. That's pretty much your one-on-one on what committees are, whatever your expertise is, and applying it to a nonprofit. And Je- it's Jess, so you are invaluable. you are killing it, Jess. I mean, I can't even put together follow-up questions. Like you're just you're not, every time I have a question, you like you fall right into the answer. I'm like, oh, that's that's a good answer already. Well, what are you involved in in your community? I'm in Rotary. I'm st- still the. Um, the, the figurehead of Bros and Bras. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm a leader, even though there's no nonprofit left there. But um, we keep 
that particular group still maintains about 28 volunteer-led fitness and or social events per month. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a lot. That's almost one event every day of the year, which is pretty epic. And I, I helped build the volunteer leadership that's currently running it. And I'm a Rotarian, too. And talk about great connections. Mm-hmm. I actually, there was a community that we didn't have much of a presence in when I first started. And I thought, that's the target area. There are a lot of great people there. They want to give back tons of small business, but they don't really have that niche thing that they support in their community because the United Way wasn't very present there. And the very first thing that I jumped onto, I came as a guest to Rotary and it was a big room for us. Like 40, 50 people is a pretty big room for a lunchtime Rotary. Yeah. 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 And everybody was engaging. It was fun. I learned about the community. I learned what the Rotary was. I learned about one of my fellow Rotarians, and now I am so passionate about it. For us, it's every Tuesday, and I hate missing. I hate missing Rotary. I try. That's important on my calendar. The only thing that can kick me off that is something with my kids or something with a client that that's the time that they schedule it and can't be moved. I'm kind of in the same boat with my Rotary. We probably have 25 to 30 people that show up for our lunchtime. Mm -hmm. It's on Wednesdays at lunch, and um, at this point, I'm only making six a year really i just have so much travel and Mm -hmm. wednesday at lunchtime just isn't my jam and if i had a more localized job i'd be i'd be there all the time because i i always go in excited to have lunch shake a couple hands sit there hear a presentation and it is really good Mm -hmm. um but as as for like involvement in the community this this podcast that i find to be just a really fun hobby to talk to people and to learn about them I mean, we could just go have coffee or drinks, and I could I could have asked these questions and learned this, but I've decided to record the conversation, and I want to, I want people, if they're interested, if they give a damn, if they don't know what United Way is, mm-hmm. listen, just just check it out. It's not super long. You listen while you're driving. Um, the majority of the people I have on the podcast are similar to you and are considered subject matter experts you know and it's it's fun and this is my new version of giving back to the community is making people aware of what's happening so we have people who are running for office it's good to, it's good to give somebody a platform where they can explain who they are and why they're running for office and explain their understanding of the position and if somebody listens to that podcast for the 15 to 45 or hour and a half however long it is it allows them to have a connection with somebody that they may consider or not consider voting into office. And that's that's how change gets made at the bottom level. Well, in news in general, from coming from the news business, you normally get a minute 30. I know. Right? That's a news story, maybe two minutes, to tell your story or to, to talk about something that happened or explain your fundraiser or whatever the case is. And it's just not enough time. And I think this boom of podcast. I'm a podcast listener. I was listening to one on my way here and I've I found value in that and it's really been able to expand my horizon so props to you for doing this thanks and, and you know the thing is too is I'm learning if you listen to podcast one with Nick Zagliffa man I, I was not that good I just wasn't that good and and I kind of bumbled around the conversation but it's just me and a bro talking about stuff you know and and it was kind of good I, I'm actually gonna go back and reap so if you want to hear a moderately crappy produced uh, podcast, get there and listen to it soon because by this weekend it'll be reproduced with better music and better sound compression. That's a button I learned I had on this thing. 
And I, um, But I don't know that I've ever had season one, episode one of a podcast be even close to as good as season two, episode five, right? right. So you're learning just like everyone else is. Well, no, what I'm saying is I'm not a pro. Um, what I am a pro at is having this conversation with you. And knowing the right people to have those conversations. Yeah. My, my, I have a genuine interest in getting to know what the United Way does and to know more about you, Jess. Um, but at the same time, I always want to offer the person I'm talking to the opportunity to really drive home some sort of pitch at the end. So as we wrap this up, I want to know what are some yearly or seasonal programs or fundraisers that you really want people to know about for the United Way in the Northern Panhandle, like on your turf, or what is exciting about wheeling that people can really get involved in just for the community? I think I can give a pretty good answer to all those questions. Okay. And I don't know if everybody has events like this because you don't know what you don't know, but we have outdoor festivals, outdoor festivals in Wheeling, West Virginia or our surrounding counties are the best of all worlds. It brings the community together, all walks of life, all age groups. There's usually some live music. Everybody loves the arts. Gives you a little, uh, a lot of soul to be able to listen to some music outdoors. There's booze. There's booze at events. Booze make people have better conversations sometimes. It, it brings out extroverts at times. When we came to town in Wheeling, wasn't like a Greek festival happening? Yes. That seemed like a real big party downtown. It was a great party. And where we were... On in Center Market in Wheeling, which is beautiful. Everyone has their niche food. I know all communities do, but it's right near Coleman's Fish Market, which is infamous. And that street where we were for that reception is where we close down that entire street and we have Oktoberfest. By we, it's the city of Wheeling. They partner with us, the United Way of the Upper Ohio Valley, and we have that event. So it's a block party of sorts. Great live music, local guys that you're going to run into at the grocery store, but it's a little bit still in awe because they're so talented. Music all day long, starts at noon, goes to 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock at night. There are beer trucks in the street that are volunteer-driven, so our volunteers for the United Way and some of our local clubs, the Circus Saints and Centers are one of our local clubs that do the volunteering. They raise the tip money. They give it back to the United Way. There are local food vendors, so there's food trucks. Um, all the shops in Center Market, which is adorable, all stay open. So it's so beneficial to damn near everyone. It's great because they're raising money for the United Way. It's about a $20,000 event is what we pull in off of that. It's great for the local food people. It's great for the people that are in those clubs. Bartending is a great networking opportunity. The community. It's great for the community. It is great for the community. When there are struggles and there are political debates and there are all these problems that everyone all knows all too well about the opioid epidemic, unemployment, and all the other tra- travel. I mean, there are so many giant issues. Poverty, paycheck to paycheck, living. All of the those people from all walks of life will come down and enjoy camaraderie in the community. And at some point, for all of our events we have outdoors, and the sun shining, we always get beautiful weather. It's just a joy and a blessing to be a charity, a nonprofit. Um, but I'll stand up and look up and down the street and see the thousands of people gathered and everybody laughing and having a great time. And that's what it's all about for me. That's when it all comes together. My goal is to better the lives of everyone there, and they're coming out and contributing to better those lives as well. It What's the name of that festival? It's called Oktoberfest in Center Market. It's the last Saturday of September every year. You should come. Yeah, website? Um, you can get it on our website, which is unitedwayuov.org. Unitedwayuov.org. 
upper.org. Yep, Upper Ohio Valley. Well, that's great. That sounds like a very exciting event and fundraiser. I think it's relatable. I think people probably have similar events throughout the year with different themes attached to them, and we do too at Center Market and at um, the Waterfront and Wheeling. But that was that's one that I... I feel that we have the most people that come through, and it's it's beautiful to see. And the streets are clean afterwards, Kevin. You know, you have big block parties, and everybody's a mess, and they just throw stuff everywhere. People care about this community, and they care about Center Market. They're putting their garbage in the trash. That's great. I know. I love it. Is there anything I missed? Is there anything I didn't ask that I should have asked about the United Way? Um, Not necessarily about the United Way, but we didn't talk about me being a bowler. And I know that it's really important information for your viewers to know about my bowling career. That's really great. <laughs> I know we talked about that in our pre-interview on the phone weeks ago. And I, um, I'll tell you off the air what we should should have done with that. But... <laughs> Tell me, you were a professional bowler? So let me tie it back into the community, right? Okay. Growing up, my grandparents bowled and my parents bowled. It was a much, big, much bigger bowling area back then, or era back then, and we had three local bowling alleys. So my parents bowled with my grandparents one night, then there was a women's league and a men's league, and then a bowling league for kids. So I was at the bowling alley essentially four days a week. And talk about community. Even to this day, if somebody that bowled with my grandparents, per se, passes away, if you, I walk into that funeral home, half the people in that funeral home are people that I met at the bowling alley when I was a kid. So the sense of community has been strong in me, in my neighborhood, of course, but through bowling for pretty much my entire life. And I've bowled since I was four years old. My mom still bowls. My brother still bowls. And um, I, at one point, there was a men's tour and a women's tour, and the women's tour went off circuit, and they started doing regional what tournaments. What off circuit mean? It means they didn't have funding. Okay. They didn't have funding to do the women's tour. So they started, you know, people would do regional tours in the area that they lived, or they would travel. So there would be professional women bowlers coming to our area, and I was living in Altoona, Pennsylvania at the time, which is a huge bowling community, and I bowled in a lot of those regional tournaments. And there are pro-ams, right, professional amateur tournaments. They have them in bowling right. and golf and right. tennis. Right, you pair and, up, right. Yeah, you pair up. I was the professional in some of these, which I didn't take myself seriously enough for that, <laughs> but I was averaging high, and I did shoot well. I didn't place in any of these tournaments, but I was in my early 20s, and it was an awesome experience, and I still bowl with my friends on Tuesday. Tuesday nights. You were a professional bowler. Ish. Yes. I guess if you is get that like paid and have sponsors, I guess you kind of are. Right. Yeah. So do you use that as like an intimidation tactic when you do bowl with your friends? Do you like <laughs> wear your jersey or something like that? There's no jersey, but I have a very <laughs> large ball bag and I do wear a wrist guard because my wrist look how tiny. I have tiny wrists. Right. Um so I do wear a wrist guard and I get picked on a lot for uh, wearing my own shoes. But then I throw a ball and it, even if I, the ball doesn't do what I want it to, I have had the same form where you put one arm out and come through with the other arm and kick your foot over to the side. I've had the same form since I was little, and that was always what people noticed. Oh, people talk trash until out. you throw right. Yeah, right? and, and then, then that's it. They zip. Yeah, I bet they do. Why Why wasn't that your uh, um, lesser-known topic at our intro for Leadership West Virginia? It was between those two. I thought which one would be the most relatable, so I went with being a bodyguard for the Pittsburgh Steelers because I know that well, hold on now. A... <laughs> yeah, I, well, well let, let's talk about that real quick then. <laughs> well, everybody has a favorite NFL team. So I thought that'd be more relatable than bowling. However, I, 
when I went to college at West Liberty, <laughs> I wanted to be in sports, and the one sport that I never wrapped my head around was wrestling. So I signed up to be a wrestling stat girl. And I actually never did. I never went to one match. I only did the fundraising part for them. And one of those fundraisers was working security for the WVU football games. Well, while, while I was there that day volunteering, some of them said they were going to the Steelers game the next day and they didn't have enough people. So I signed up and I did that for four years. I would go stand between the 50 or the 40 yard lines on that first level of the concourse and I would walk around and tell people that they couldn't stand on the wall because it was a fire hazard and I got to watch all the games. And I loved it for a college job, just working Sundays, getting paid to watch. I'm a giant Steelers fan, so getting paid to watch that was cool. And then at the end of the games, I would go downstairs by their locker room. I would get to congratulate all of my favorite players on a job well done. And this was before you knew every single face of every single pe- person, sure. right? I've been out of college for like 16 years. No Twitter and stuff like that back then. And I would, a few of us would escort people to their cars so that fans wouldn't bother them and ask for their autographs unless they wanted to do it. And it's kind of a big mixture of that. And I said, if there's anyone that's going to take a bullet for Jerome Bettis, it's me. I should be the one to walk him to his car because he's the whole reason I became a Steelers fan to tie it all back because he was a bowler. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. He, he was a great bowler in his day. And I... My dad said, hey, this guy's a bowler. And I sat down and watched my first Steelers game. So, yeah, I was uh, bodyguard. a bodyguard, work security for Heinz Field and Three Rivers at the time for and the Steelers. formerly a professional bowler <laughs> that can still act professional. I can throw down. Score. Yeah. Awesome, Jess. Well, hey, if we haven't, if we haven't missed anything, I mean, that, those are some really good tidbits right there. If we haven't missed anything, I think we can wrap this up. All right. Well, thank you so much for you. letting me get the word out about the United Way. It's certainly a platform that I don't take lightly, and I feel very blessed to go to work every single day. I mean that. I love my job. What was your email? Uh, jryne, R-I-N-E, at unitedwayuov.org. Awesome. Well, thanks a lot, Jess. I appreciate it. Thanks, Kevin. This podcast is brought to you by City National Bank in Ransom, West Virginia. I am Melissa Knott and manage both of our Jefferson County locations. Our Charlestown location is located on George Street in Charlestown and the Ransom location is located in the Potomac Marketplace Shopping Center. City National Bank is a full-service community bank that provides an array of financial services. We offer a range of free checking accounts and savings products for both consumer and business customers. City National Bank offers competitive low-rate and low-cost lending products for both business and personal needs. Come and talk to me or one of my team members and get products and services that are tailored to fit your schedule and help you to achieve your financial goals. I can be reached at both the Ranson and Charlestown locations. Check out our website at www.bankatcity.com.